This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukrainian forces said they had retaken the village of Bilohorivka on the outskirts of Lizachansk in the Russian-controlled province of Luhansk. The gain is significant because Vladimir Putin's stated war aim is to annex all of the eastern region of Donbass, of which Luhansk forms half. Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, said that occupiers in the region were in a panic. As if to confirm that, the Kremlin-backed leader of Donetsk, the other constituent part of Donbass, called for a swift referendum on handing the region to Russia. Protests erupted across Iran over the death of a young Kurdish woman, Masa Amini, who died in police custody last week after being arrested for wearing her hijab incorrectly. In Iran's Kurdistan province, security forces opened fire on demonstrators, killing at least four. Another 85 were injured and 200 arrested, according to a rights group. During the protests, some women have been burning their headscarves. Hurricane Fiona made landfall in the Dominican Republic. Torrential rain and winds of 90 miles per hour forced roads and businesses to close in the east of the Caribbean country. The hurricane is forecast to strengthen as it travels towards the Turks and Caicos Islands. Over the weekend, the storm battered neighbouring Puerto Rico, killing several people, cutting off power to 1.3 million of the territory's residents and leaving 70% without potable water. The funerals for Elizabeth II concluded with a service at Windsor Castle, where the Queen was buried in a private ceremony. A state funeral took place on Monday morning at Westminster Abbey, attended by Joe Biden, Emmanuel Macron, and around 500 other foreign dignitaries. The ceremonies, which drew large crowds of mourners, mark the end of 10 days of national mourning. Making her way to the UN General Assembly in New York and a first meeting with Joe Biden, Liz Truss, Britain's new Prime Minister, admitted that she had no expectation of striking any free trade deal with America in the short to medium term. Transatlantic benefits of exactly that sort had been held out as a great hope by those who propounded Brexit. China kept its benchmark lending rates unchanged, despite the yuan's weakening in recent weeks and central banks tightening monetary policy elsewhere. Officials decided not to increase one- and five-year loan prime rates as they tried to find a balance between supporting an economic recovery and bolstering the yuan. Russia and China agreed to carry out further joint military exercises and strengthen their defence cooperation after a meeting between diplomats in Fujian province on Monday. Despite recent disagreements between the two countries over Russia's botched invasion of Ukraine, the Chinese Foreign Ministry reaffirmed that they always firmly support each other on issues concerning each other's core interests. China spent $8.3 billion on Russian energy products last month, a new record. And fact of the day, 94%. Egypt's ratio of debt to GDP. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. World leaders assemble at the UN. 
A day after one gathering of world leaders in London at Elizabeth II's funeral, another gets underway in New York on Tuesday at the UN General Assembly. The leaders' annual debate will resume fully in person after two years of COVID-related disruption. But the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, and climate-related disasters mean this will hardly be a happy reunion. Joe Biden will address the assembly on Wednesday. In 2019, Donald Trump told the UN that quote, "the future does not belong to globalists." Last year, Mr. Biden reassured fellow leaders that America was quote, "back at the table in international forums." But since then, divisions between the great powers have deepened. Last week, Mr. Biden felt compelled to warn Vladimir Putin against using chemical or nuclear weapons in Ukraine, and the ravages of the pandemic have held back progress in health, education, and standards of living for two consecutive years, playing havoc with the UN's agenda, not least its sustainable development goals. Japan keeps cool on inflation. On Tuesday, Japan is set to overshoot its official inflation target for the fifth month in a row. The growth in core consumer prices, which exclude fresh food, is expected to approach three percent year-on-year in August. The Bank of Japan's target is two percent. Yet the central bank reckons demand is still too weak and wage growth too slow to worry excessively about sustained inflation. Haruhiko Kuroda, the governor, has signaled that the bank will maintain its loose monetary stance at its policy meeting later this week. If so, that will leave the BOJ even further out of step with other rich world central banks. Most of them are racing to tighten policy in the face of stubborn high inflation. The growing gap in yields is one reason why the Japanese yen has fallen below 140 per U.S. dollar, its lowest rate in more than two decades. Expect even more of a tumble. Legal weed struggles to turn a profit. Canada legalized recreational marijuana in 2018 in the hope that a thriving cannabis industry would replace drug smuggling gangs. Better quality control and labeling of doses were to make for safer highs. Prices of regulated and unregulated marijuana in Canada are slowly converging, but black market suppliers who neither pay taxes nor abide by stringent regulations have retained their edge. Cost remains the single most important factor in choosing a source for most buyers. That is an issue for Aurora Cannabis, one of Canada's largest pot producers, which is expected to report more losses on Tuesday. Since March 2019, the company's share price has tumbled from more than 150 Canadian dollars, or 113 U.S. dollars, to below two Canadian dollars. Investors will be inspecting the company's decision last month to buy Bevo Farms, a producer of vegetables and houseplants. And sentiment around legal cannabis will largely depend on regulators. As America's Senate backtracks on a bill to decriminalize cannabis, Germany, with a potential market estimated at 16.6 billion dollars, is mulling legalization. Argentina's economy grows amid woes. On Tuesday, Argentina is expected to report that its economy expanded by more than six percent in the second quarter of the year. The war in Ukraine has pushed up prices for soy and wheat, both of which the country has in bountiful supply. But other woes are abundant in South America's second-largest economy. Annual inflation could reach 100 percent by the end of the year. 
The country owes the IMF more than $40 billion, but has scarce foreign reserves. In July, Argentina's economy minister resigned, citing political infighting among his superiors. His replacement was sacked three weeks into the job. But the latest incumbent, Sergio Massa, has offered more hope since taking over in August. An experienced operator, Mr. Massa promises to reduce the fiscal deficit as agreed with the IMF and to stop the money printing that has fueled inflation. Yet with pressure from some in government to increase welfare spending, Mr. Massa faces a difficult balancing act. Fifty years on, the joy of sex endures. When Alex Comfort first published his famous sex manual in 1972, its success stemmed from its reassuring tone. The Joy of Sex counseled that there was nothing deviant about desire. At a time when sex was widely considered sinful in the Anglophone world, The Joy of Sex stood apart for its relaxed, approachable prose and its emphasis on pleasure. Mr. Comfort wanted to do for sex what the joy of cooking had done for food, teach readers about the basics, and provide a, quote, gourmet guide for those seeking further satisfaction. Try bondage, he suggested, a, quote, wild sexual sensation. Though groundbreaking for its time, parts of the book may now seem nauseating. Quote, don't get yourself raped, he advised his female audience. A revised edition has since omitted some offensive references, but the core of the book has endured. Good sex was not possible without love, Mr. Comfort argued, and that meant, quote, mutual tenderness, respect, and consideration. That is still a recipe worth learning. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. What in maths is defined as the number of different digits that a system of counting uses to represent numbers? Monday. Atlas, Luna, and Madagascan sunsets are all types of what creature? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Yorgos Seferis. For poetry, there exists neither large countries nor small. Its domain is in the heart of all men. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.